I would love to have you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Daniel one more time. Daniel chapter 12, where we will find ourselves this morning. I've got to tell you, I have looked forward to arriving in Daniel 12, not so much from the standpoint of being done with a summer preaching series, but because there are a number of themes here in this chapter that I so deeply resonate with and uh, speak great comfort to me. But now, I want to reflect with you as you come to Daniel 12. It was back in, in 1995 that Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins gave us the first of the Left Behind books. I must ask now, how many of you have read any of the Left Behind series back in the day? Good night. How many of you read all 16? We have a trophy for you. Oh, there's no trophy. Sorry. Several of you read all 16 books, have the collection somewhere. Four movies uh, came out of that as well, if you kept track through the years. Um, But it prompted a lot of people thinking, didn't it, about the end of the world, apocalyptic things. How's this all going to work out? And of course, as the world plays along and things happen in uh, in our country and around the world, at various times, people think apocalyptically, end of the world. And we've commented on that through this series in Daniel. Uh, The 60s, of course, oh my goodness, even before then. Um, different world wars and epidemics and, oh man, so many things come along and people begin to, to ask, is this it? And so through this summer, we have been studying the book of Daniel and thinking as well, in these days, pandemic and unrest, how many people now are thinking apocalyptically? Is this it? Is this it? Now, Daniel 12 then brings us to the end of a study and I'm I'm so encouraged by what's here, and I hope you will be too, rather than discouraged, because I'm just giving you part of the, part of the deal ahead of time, all right? Queuing you up for what's to come. Part of what you're going to find in Daniel 12 is that the book closes without answering all your questions. Are you guys going to be okay? Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't land everything. It doesn't settle everything. You're going to be left saying, but wait, what about that? What about this? Who's this? You didn't tell us who the Antichrist is, for goodness sakes. How about a name in parentheses, spelled backwards or something? Give me a clue. And there are going to be all kinds of things left unresolved, except, may I say, the most important things that are brought to a wonderful resolution that I hope will bring great encouragement to you. So Daniel 12 is where we're going to be. Study notes in your bulletin. I hope you have those handy. And uh, we want to pray, and then we'll jump right in here to the scriptures. But join me, please, as we invite God's special help here. Father, as we open your word together, it gives us great joy uh, to do so. Uh, This study of the book of Daniel has brought all kinds of things across our path, and we're grateful for the journey we've taken over these summer months. And Lord, today, as we come to this specific chapter, 13 verses, to, to talk through together. I pray that you'd encourage us, help us on the, the technical elements and the, the things that require extra study and thought. And overall, that from this morning, that you would turn our hearts to Christ. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> now, if you look at your study notes, you see uh, I gave you under the, the review section a number of things of looking back. And I'm not going to read all those for you, but we've had a great time over the summer months walking with these four Hebrew boys, of course, Daniel and uh, his three friends, uh, Babylonian names, of course, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel, Belteshazzar, 
But we, we followed them as young guys uh, taken from their home country, uh, Judah, all the way to this world-class city in Babylon, what I call it, you know, kind of the, the backwaters of Judah. Well, it, it, compared to Babylon, Judah pretty well was. You get to Babylon, and my goodness sakes, glory and gold and big walls and education and pagan temples. And here these teenagers are walking in here, taken from their homes and their families to a place with a different language. Can you imagine? And that's what we've seen. Now, you come to Daniel 12, and you're 70 years later. So Daniel's the only one we've followed. The other guys, we don't know what happened to them. But Daniel, at this point, then mid-80s, maybe older, if he was taken from his home in in his teenage years, somewhere around 85, 90, I don't know. And this, these years have played out. And of course, we've seen the choices early on with food. We've seen this statue and the dream of a statue. We've seen this king become like an animal for a season. We've seen, um, <clears throat> my goodness, the three boys in the fiery furnace, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, um, and these, then these visions, all the topics of preaching over the summer. And if you've missed some of those, uh, of course, you can find those sermons online and, and think about them with us. But as you have on your sermon notes under this section called today's text, today's today's chapter is a mystery-filled, and I'm calling it a rest-filled conclusion. So there are mysteries, that is, things unresolved. There are, and yet rest, rest from the hand of God, that more than just physical rest, it's not just like take a nap, it isn't that, but resting things in the in the hands of God. So I'm, I'm encouraged by what we're going to look at together today. I want to read this chapter, and uh, if, you, if you look at my notes, you see the sections, that uh, the way I'm going to divide this up for, uh, for our presentation today, verses 1 to 4, and you'll notice at that point kind of a shift, and then verses 5 to 12, and again, kind of a shift at the end of verse 12, and then verse 13 is the, the way we'll talk about it. But I want to read it, and um, we'll, we'll go ahead from there. But hear God's word, then, as we read together. Daniel chapter 12. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, question number one, by the way, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand, he raised his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. And I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, oh, my Lord, question number two, 
what shall be the outcome of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly and none of the wicked shall understand. But those who are wise shall understand. And from that time, from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. And so it ends. Right about the time you get here, you're saying, yes, but where's Daniel 13, Daniel 14, and another 20 more chapters that'll give us the rest of the details, and it's not there. Here is where God says enough and wraps up the book. Very interesting. Well, several things then. I'm suggesting here, first of all, verses one to four, I call it final words of warning and comfort. Um, It would appear, perhaps the chapter divisions are maybe unfortunate, maybe not, but it looks like the first four verses really belong back with chapters 10 and 11, this long extended prophecy, because it seems to be continuing that theme. Uh, I know there's a a shift, of course, between four and five, but nonetheless, uh, it looks like a continuation of, of what has preceded. And I'll let you listen to past sermons from, from uh, Matt and, and Tyler if you want to pick up chapters 10 and 11. I'll not try to repeat that. Now, verse 1, you find one of the named, one of the few named angels in the Bible. You don't have very many named. So Michael, Gabriel, uh, two of those. Lucifer, of course, uh, on the negative side. But Michael here, so named, the great prince who has charge of your people. Well, that would appear to be a special role uh, for the people of Israel. And again, Matt preached on these elements several weeks ago, some of those unseen elements, some of the angelic things and stratas of angels and so on. And again, I won't try to repeat that, but just to notice here is another reference to Michael, this great prince, you can find that back in chapter 10, of course, who has a special role in caring for the nation of Israel. No question about that. Now, this ominous warning, what do you do with this? There shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. And I note here a few things on your study sheet. This is often called it is for people who discuss prophecy, okay? This is often called the time of Jacob's trouble. And it's uh, also referenced in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, and there's a reference to this in uh, Jesus, uh, uh, all of it discourse, Matthew 24 as well, the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, um, my goodness sakes, a, a severe time such as has not been since there was a nation until that. Wow. Now, over the summer, a number of occasions I've referenced John Lennox's book uh, on Daniel, which I have so appreciated, The Inspiration of Daniel in an Age of Relativism. He comments on this little phrase. He says, it's hard to get one's mind around this grim statement. Uh, The time of Antiochus was horrendous. And you've heard us preach about Antiochus IV, Antiochus Epiphanes, bad guy. That's during the intertestamental time, right, between the close of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New. There's about 400 years. And Antiochus was a bad guy. And as we've seen in some of the prophetic elements of Daniel, 
very clearly, some things were said about Antiochus, but they were looking ahead to a greater evil man yet to come. Okay, probably, it would seem, the Antichrist that we, we think of uh, about an Antichrist yet to come. So uh, Lennox then says, the time of Antiochus was horrendous, as was the period around the later fall of Jerusalem. And of course, that was right after the time of Jesus. If you know your Bible history and world history a little bit, so in about 70, it was 70 AD that the Roman legions under General Titus came through and, and really wiped out the nation of Israel. 73 AD, the fall of Masada, that mountaintop fortress. But then again, uh, Lennox says, the Holocaust that would come later, beggar's description. Daniel indicates there is even worse to come at the time of the end. Can that be... Can it be? Often people say about awful seasons in the life of history, history of the world, they say, we've got to make sure that never happens again. I often hear that and I think, my goodness sakes, what a a well-intentioned but naive statement. You really are going to tell me that will never happen again? Well, let me tell you something. Evil people, evil people will yet arise. And the idea that there would, we have now, we're now done as a world with evil people is, is horribly naive. Now, a couple of things as you think about this. This now is spoken several centuries before Christ. Antiochus Epiphanes comes. But then Jesus in Matthew 24, after Antiochus, before the fall of Jerusalem, he's saying, he says a similar thing. There's coming a time. There's coming a bad time. Worse than ever has been. And it's striking to me that Jesus would look ahead. Now, the time of Jacob's trouble, that term, okay, if you want to get technical, and some of you, again, dabble with prophecy, some of you have studied it more, to, be, to, to get technical on this. Those of us who are pre-trib, pre-mill people, as I am, and some of you aren't, I understand, it's okay, I'm not mad at you. Um, maybe someday you'll see the light and join me in these good waters with Tim LaHaye and some others. That aside, when, for, for, the, for the record, if you think about that seven-year period called, that often is called the tribulation, okay, the second half of it is the time that's often called the time of Jacob's trouble or the great tribulation. Sometimes people speak of the great tribulation and they're not being technical and they mean the whole seven years. Technically, the great tribulation would be the second half, Okay. No worries if you kind of muddy it up a little bit. It's okay. We still love you. You can worship here. But the time of Jacob's trouble uh, technically would be the second half. Well, how do we know that? Well, really from this text. Um, if, you, if you look at the questions, and I'm looking ahead a little bit. Sorry about that. Uh, how long shall it be till the time of the, of the end of these wonders? And the answer is given, well, three and a half years, time, times, and half a time. Uh, seems to cue off of verse 1. It would seem that that time of Jacob's trouble then would be three and a half years long. That's where pre-trib, pre-mill people get that. If you ever wonder where they come up with that, it's like from texts like this. They read it and did the math and went, oh, looks like three and a half years where it's really, really awful. Well, that's, that's where it comes from, the great tribulation. Now, words of warning and in the same verse, words of comfort, but kind of mysterious. Don't you see this? Because right after that statement, a time of trouble such as never has been since, the na- from, uh, since there was a nation till that time. Then it says, but at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. All that's in the first verse. Can you imagine? 
We're barely getting started. So what's the comfort? Well, deliverance. And I ask, well, deliverance from whom? Deliverance by whom? Is there an army that's coming? Is it angels? This text doesn't tell us, does it? It just kind of leaves it hanging. Well, there's going to be deliverance. Wonderful. And then it's the reference to a book. There are a number of references to books. Revelation has references to books and actually scattered throughout the Old Testament. The idea that, and please get this, the idea that God keeps track. And however you understand all the details of this, I hope you find great comfort and joy in this. God does keep track of his people. So whether it's a big old thick book or a big scroll, immaterial, God's keeping track. In fact, one of the Psalms talks about how God keeps track of our tears. He, he says, are they not, are they, are they, do you not keep them? Catch them in, in your bottle. Are they not written in your book? That God keeps track of our tears. That's not just a matter of math. It's a matter of, of love and attention to us. That you never, you never hurt that God doesn't notice and is attend to you very personally. There's never a time you hurt that God says, oh, what's your problem? Isn't that good? Now, right at the time that you say, God, do you even notice? He does. He does. Uh, these, his people, he says, deliverance. There's going to be deliverance. So warning, a time of difficulty yet to come, such as the world has never seen, and yet comfort your people will be delivered, everyone whose name is written in the book. Now, verse 2, then, speaks about resurrection. And as I put on your study notes here, verse 2 along with verse 13 are two important Old Testament witnesses to future revelation, or resurrection rather, and life eternal, doctrines often viewed as missing in action in the Old Testament. Sometimes when people study the Bible, they say, well, you see some of these doctrines in the New Testament, but you don't in the Old. Well, I would beg to differ, because if you read Daniel 12, there are two references to resurrection, and specifically uh, speaking about eternal life, both with a good place and a bad place. That isn't just in the book of Revelation, because you see in verse 2, many shall, those who sleep in the dust shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The Bible's really clear. And folks, I don't know where you're at on this. Um, the Bible's really clear that at the end of this life, there's a good place that we often call heaven, that you get to, not because you're so good, because you're not. You get there because of Jesus, by trusting Christ as your Savior from sin. The Bible's also clear there's a bad place. Okay? It isn't that people sometimes say, well, I can't believe God sends anybody there. Hold on. God offers you a way out. And if you choose not to take the exit, that's where the freeway goes. Okay? So the exit off of that path is Jesus. So it's really unfair to say, well, God did this when actually you did if you reject Jesus. Now, he didn't send anybody there. You chose to go. Hopefully that isn't you. But a good place and a bad place. The Bible is really clear that these are real a place that the Bible calls heaven, a place the Bible calls hell. This is an Old Testament witness to that. Resurrection, resurrection, as we'll see again in verse, verse 3. Uh, sorry, verse 13. Now, verse 3 
this interesting statement about the wise shining like the brightness of the sky. I've heard this talk about uh, like a soul winner's verse. I'm not sure that that's what's the intent here. But those who are wise shine like the brightness of the sky above, turn many to righteousness like the stars. But then this prophecy closes then with verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book till the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. Verse 4 and verse 9 are very similar. And you know what, folks? All I know what to do is to give them to you. In both cases, Daniel is told, it's, it's kind of like this, Daniel, put it down, walk away. Okay? These words are sealed until the time of the end. I take that to mean, try as hard as you like, you're not going to get it all figured out. Isn't that great? Uh, for those of you who like to fill in all your prophecy notes and all your checklists, and have it all figured out, God's plan from the beginning to the end, this could be kind of frustrating to you, okay? But wait, I still have questions. Uh Uh-huh, and get used to it, friend. Uh, Daniel, Daniel had to get used to it. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. You might know a lot, but guess what? The words are sealed until the time of the end. In other words, they'll make sense then, not now. How about that? Now, that concept that there are elements of prophecy that will only make sense when they take place. That's what happened with the first and second coming of Jesus. And again, uh, John Lennox comments on that in his little book. He says this, um, we must realize there are aspects in the book of Daniel, aspects of prophecy, information in it, that will not find their full relevance and application till the time of the end. This shouldn't surprise us. This happened uh, in the prophecies about the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached a sermon uh, where he explained some of those things. In other words, we've talked about this in our preaching. Um, When Jesus came, people thought it was going to be one coming, and it was all done. And then Jesus died on the cross. And Peter at Pentecost says, actually, He came redemptively the first time. He'll come again in power. Two comings. And people didn't see it. They didn't see it till that moment. So similarly, I think there are elements in the book of Daniel. You look at and say, I don't don't get it. I don't get it. And I say, not a problem. Is it a problem? Is that a problem to you if you don't understand everything? Boy, I sure hope not. Um, Let it go, Daniel. Walk away, Daniel. It's going to be okay. God has it in his hands. Daniel, shut up the word, seal the book till the time of the end. Now, with, with verse 4, then, I think that major prophecy finishes. Verses 5 to 12, there are two questions that I think are really good. I identified those as I read. Daniel sees these, these angelic-type beings, and his first question is in verse 6. How long shall it be till the time of these wonders? And I again, I mentioned already that I think the answer given about time, times, and half a time, three and a half years, is queued up on verse 1. How long will that, that difficult time be? How long until the end of that comes? But may I say, these two questions are things that you ask too, meaning different things, I realize. How long shall it be till the end? You ever wondered that? Well, yes. How long shall it be? Well, good question. Daniel asks it too. And of course, I think that three and a half years, I think he's talking about the second half of the tribulation, but that's, that's my best guess. Interesting, in verse 7, when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. And it has a, a note of finality 
to it. The second question then is, is in verse 8, what shall be the outcome? And what's the answer? What's the answer that, that God gives? Does he, does he really tell them the whole outcome? Well, he really doesn't. Um, he, 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 Daniel asked the question, but the answer is, you know what? These words are shut up until the time of the end. There's, there are going to be some who are, you know, the, who are righteous people. They're on God's side, and there are going to be other people who aren't. So there's these two groups. You know, so to speak, the good guys and, and the other guys who have rejected God's truth. They're not good because they're so good. They're trusting Christ as their Savior. They're on God's team. And then there's the other guys. And that's about the best he says. What shall be the outcome? Well, there's going to be two groups. Those who follow the God of the Bible and those who don't. Can it get any more simple than that? And I, I go back to verse the beginning of verse 8, right before Daniel asks that second question, uh, boy, I resonate with this. I heard, but I didn't understand. I heard. I didn't understand. I, I take great comfort in this. Daniel, great prophet. What's he have to say about this? I heard it, didn't understand it. Okay, Jay, what about you? Well, guess what? I'm going to be with Daniel. I've heard it. I don't understand it all. Isn't that great? How about you? How much do you understand? Yeah, not much. Uh, thank you for that honest confession, Ralph. I think that came from that muffled place over there. Not much is the answer. Yeah, wow. The, the, more, you, the, more, you, uh, the more you live, the more you realize, I don't understand either. Right, Dennis? I, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Daniel didn't know either. Now, you come to verses 11 and 12. Oh, boy. It gets even, even deeper here. From the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination of desolation, which we've commented on before, Jesus does as well, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. Okay, what do those, those numbers mean? Anybody here know? Uh, I, know I didn't say guess. There are a variety of guesses. Um, there are some who would guess, and if you have a, um, what is this? If you have a MacArthur Study Bible, there's a guess has to do with something about giving time for judgment. Okay, maybe before a millennial kingdom. Maybe. Uh, Marv Rosenthal, who in the 90s published a book called Pre-Wrath Rapture. It takes a different view of the end times than is mine. I've read the book, greatly valued it. I wasn't convinced by it, but I appreciated the well-articulated view. I try to read views that aren't mine from the original uh, producers of them, uh, just to be have theological integrity. But Rosenthal's book, very detailed, he gives some, some guesses about those numbers, ties them into some of the feasts of Israel that have certain days between them. You'd have to read his explanation to, to, to understand what he's saying. It's kind of complicated. But he, he ties it into some of the feasts of Israel being fulfilled at that time, um, waiting for, for the, the end to come. Well, maybe, Marv, maybe. Interesting. But we're kind of left saying, I wonder what all that is about. But I'm confident of this. When it's that time, there will be those who are saying, hey, hey, honey, did you read the book of Daniel? 1,200? Yeah, that's now. And they'll see the hand of God, and they'll see how wise and good he is, the keeper of history. And great praise will go to God because of that. 
Now, verse 13, and here's where our journey in this, our quick journey through Daniel 12 ends. Verse 13 is how the book ends. God, speaking to Daniel, says, go your way. Go your way till the end. Go, Daniel. Walk away, friend. Walk away. Put it down. Leave it alone. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Now, I want to talk about this business of rest for a moment or two. Clearly, yes, a euphemism for death. But I I want to suggest to you, please think about this with me. Think theologically with me for a moment about the whole Bible. Uh, the, the, The idea of rest is not just a euphemism for death. Sometimes you see on an old tombstone, right? Entered into rest. You see phrases like that. Resting. Okay, you say, well, they just, they're just talking about dying. Uh, hold on, friend. Much more than that. Because the theological idea behind rest is closely equated to the idea of trust. Okay? Now, go here with me, please. <laughs> um, the word rest um, is, a, is a word that's, that's used in Hebrews 4 to talk about a person who trusts Christ as Savior. That is, they're trusting Christ. They've entered into rest. They're resting from their works. They're not trusting works anymore. They've entered into a place of rest. It says it toward the beginning of, of Hebrews 4, we who have believed have entered into that rest. In other words, when you trust Christ as your Savior, you're resting from working for your salvation. So you, in a sense, you've entered into rest. So your theological word, justification. When you're trusting Christ as Savior, in a sense, you enter a place of rest or trust. Now, when you grow in grace, as you grow as a Christian, guess what you're learning to do? Trust Christ more. That is, rest rest more in him on a daily basis. Okay? So trust and rest, closely wedded. Your theological word there is sanctification. So justification, sanctification. And then finally, when you enter the presence of God, as the tombstone, entering into rest. This too is about trust, ultimately, final place, entering the promised land, kind of like what we saw in Joshua 21, entering into the promised land, final rest, trusting myself to the hands of God even in death. So the idea of rest um, is a theologically rich concept. It's what God calls you to do. That is to rest in Christ, to to lean against him, to quit your trying to earn God's favor, rest from earning, trying to earn your way into heaven, and trust Christ in him alone as your savior from sin. In a sense, it's 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 like rest. And then as you grow, you're learning every day. This you know what? May I be blunt? Some of you need to do this more right now with what's going on in the world. You need to rest it with God. Because for all your worrying and stressing and being uptight about you're not going to fix it. I'm still waiting for my phone to ring and have somebody important call and say, Jay, what do you think? Hasn't happened yet. Nobody's asking me what I think. It's really frustrating. <laughs> well, you get my point. <laughs> it's a place where you just got to rest it with, into the hands of God and let it go, kind of like Daniel. Daniel, walk away, friend, and trust it to the hands of God because it's out of your power. And one day when your life here is done, what are you going to do? You're going to close your eyes here. Daniel's what he's being told. You shall rest, Daniel, and shall stand in your lot of place at the end of days. Daniel, 85, 90 years old, however old he was, 
This is what's going to come next. You're not going to have it all figured out. You're not going to fill on all your prophecy charts. You're not going to get all the boxes checked. Rest that with me. You will rest. And they'll be, you're going to be in the presence of God. So, so I, I, I find it so interesting that God has wired us, okay, some of us more than others, to need physical rest. And I believe, as I, again, th- these are things to think about. Our need for daily sleep is a picture of this. Did you know that? It's not just some curse of nature that you need to sleep uh, maybe a lot at night. Um, it's a gift from God, and it's a picture of what God intends you to do. Time to go to bed. Some of us are not good at this because we worry about the day. We think about stuff. We stay awake and we're, okay, what does God intend you to do? Let it go. Let it go. You can't do anything more about it today. Rest. Rest in him. Put it in his care. And close your eyes and say, oh, God, it's all yours. I can't do a thing more about this. And in a sense, that daily pattern is a picture of what God intends you to do with him. That is, rest it in his care and close your eyes and say, oh, God, it's yours. It's yours. I can't do anything more about this. I'm giving it to you. And then rest. So anyway, I, I, I hear the words of God to Daniel. You shall rest and you shall stand here a lot of time. And I say, yes, Jay, you need to pay attention to that too. Don't try to do more than what you can. Rest. Rest. Uh, there are some great hymns of old that deal with this. Some of you know these. Jesus, I am, what is it? Resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. What's that about? Well, this. Oh, love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. Same point. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. Closer you come to him, the more you're able to say, oh God, I trust you fully. I do, I trust you fully. Even as I trust you for salvation, I trust you now with the details of my life. So the, the hymn writers were trying to help us here, resting, resting in his care. Now, all of this, all of this, of course, Daniel 12, leads us to Jesus. It does. And I'm going to shift here, and you can come with me, put the notes here uh, on my study sheet, to Romans chapter 8. And here's where we're going to wrap up our, our whole study this morning. We're going to come to Romans 8, 31 to the end of the chapter, 31 to 39. And I I know that in in Romans 8, Paul isn't talking about prophecy. He's talking about just amazing theology in the preceding section. But in verse 31, he asks the first of several questions here in a text. There are several in this paragraph. What then shall we say to these things? You could ask the same question, though it's not what Paul's doing. You could ask the same question of Daniel 12. I've got all kinds of questions, God. Wait a minute. How's the Antichrist going to show up? And am I right in my pre-trib, pre-mill view? Or did I, did I miss someday in Sunday school? Come on. I want to get this right. Right? Well, what shall I say to these things? Well, at the end of it all, here's what you can say. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, raised to new life. Those are the answers you grab a hold of. There's so much I don't understand, but I do understand this. Jesus died on the cross for my sin. I understand that. Questions about things? Oh, absolutely, hundreds of them. 
But this I don't question. I am in the hands of a good God, and that's evidenced at the cross of Jesus. So I, I hold on to that. I hold on to that. I love the questions that Paul asks and answers in this text. Who can separate us from the love of God? And it gives a long list of possibilities. He doesn't mention pandemics, but he could. No, and all these things were more than conquerors to him who loved us. Well, I agree. I agree. I want to pray for us, and then we're going to head toward communion, and I'm going to say a word or two about how we do that uh, in these days. But um, I, I, I want to pray for us right here, if you would join me in this. Father, I thank you for these moments in the book of Daniel. There's so much we haven't said, so much that could be said. And this, this conclusion of a, of a study and a conclusion of a journey with Daniel the man and those who were with him, I thank you that you hold the future in your hands. You tell us enough in the book of Daniel not to give us all the answers, but to let us know that you have all the answers. And you do know what you're doing. And you are sovereign over all. Father, thank you for this. Thank you for telling us the important stuff. And thank you, most of all, for pointing our feet toward Christ. What do we say to these things? Well, if God is for us, who can be against us? And I pray that in these moments, as we reflect on Christ, the conclusion of this morning, that you would just affirm in our hearts that because of Christ, here, here we see your goodness your forgiveness, and our security in Jesus. Thank you, Father, for these moments. In Jesus' name, amen. On your study notes, I ask you just a couple of things. First of all, I ask you this specifically. Are you trusting Christ as your Savior from sin? Um, I know it's possible to go to church, watch church services online, and, and never come to a place where you trust Christ. You can dabble, you can play, you can think, you can talk, you can mess with it, and never come to a place where you say, God, I'm, today's the day. Trusting Christ is my Savior from sin. And I just, I just want to remind you, as you think about the end of the world and future and things, if, if, if that's you, if you've thought and played and wondered and stuff, and you've been hesitant you may be waiting for a sign from God. This is the sign from God. Here it is. It's my call to you. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, never had that conversation with God, for goodness sakes, what are you waiting for? That's the thing to do right now today. God, today, I'm trusting Christ as my Savior from sin. I'm going to rest from my efforts. Trust Christ in him alone. I hope that's you. I hope that that's you. Now, in these days, we have move from passing trays as we celebrate communion to communion stations, okay? And we invite you, if you know Christ is your Savior, to join with us in taking the bread and the cup. And it looks different this month, trying something completely new. Look at this. This is kind of fun. Double cupped. I know. So you only have to pick up one. Make sure you get both. Little crackers in the bottom. Little cup of juice on the top. It's amazing. Um, and of course, down through the years, God's people have celebrated communion a whole bunch of different ways and in different places. But there are certain things in common. And that is a little cracker that's a reminder in some way of the body of Jesus that went to the cross for our, for our sin. And some kind of a, a cup of juice that points to the blood of Jesus shed on the cross for our sin. And it's a way for the people of God to share something in common and say, I'm trusting Christ. No, I am. Christ is my savior from sin, and I'm, I'm sharing in his body and his blood and the benefits of that. I've trusted Christ. 
So if you know Christ, you share with us. And the way we're going to do this, of course, is if you want to participate with us, if you'd rather not, you can stay right where you're at, no problem. Find your way to one of these communion stations, pick up the cool little double cup, make your way back, hold on to those, I'll say just a word or two, and together we'll remember Christ. Uh, as the music is played, just make your way to whatever station's closest if you would choose to do that. And if we run out at one station, go to the next. It's pretty simple. And I'll trust you to, to, to figure that out. And uh, I'll talk to you again in just a moment. But as the music is played, I invite you to come and let's together remember Jesus. So Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? How do I know God is for me? How do I know? How do I know? You look to the cross, don't you? You do. You look to the cross, and there you see Jesus dying in your place. How do I know God is for me? You look to Jesus. How do I know that he's present in my difficulty? You look to Jesus. How do I know he's got the whole world in his hands? You look to Jesus. How do I know that I'm secure in his hands? How do I know? How do I know that I can't mess it up so badly he'll say, forget it, what a, what a, you know, away. How do I know? You look to Jesus, the one who died in your place. This little cracker points us to his body broken for us. Let's remember him together. A little cup of juice points us to his blood with gratefulness. Let's remember him. Just by taking those little elements, oh, nothing magic, but a remembering that we are in Christ, he and us, we are one with him. I would love to pray for us as we head out, and I'd love to ask you to stand with me as we pray, and our time here together this morning will be done. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you indeed. We have a Savior who will never leave us nor forsake us. Nothing in all this world can separate us. Once we know Christ is our Savior, we are safe in your care. And that gives us such great joy because we don't get it right all the time. We don't. We struggle with things. We get it wrong. And Father, you see us right where we're at and you hold on to us. Thank you that you hold on to us when we cannot hold on so strongly to you. I pray that this week for each of these dear people that you would keep us all in your care and point us, point us daily to Christ, our great Savior from sin. And we pray together in his name. Amen.